Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How's everyone doing today? Well, I hope you said fine. I'm doing fine, too. Welcome, welcome to California Haunts Radio. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so. We've got a great guest tonight. We're kind of shifting gears with this guest, which is kind of fun. I like to shift gears. Anyway, um, I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, and we are 45 strong up and down the state of California, which means for you, if you have a paranormal need or you think you have a paranormal need in your home or office, we can get to you because there's somebody in practically every county. And if we're not in every county, we're within three or four counties away that we can get to you. So look us up. You know, you can look us up at californiahaunts.org, californiahauntsradio.com. You can see, you can find me on Facebook via my name. You can find California Haunts on Facebook. It's really easy, really easy to find us. Also, I want to announce uh, I'm teaching. Let me get this out here. Sometimes I got to read notes, too. I'm teaching a psychic development class on Saturday, September 3rd at 5 p.m. Pacific. And that's going to be a basic psychic development class, an entry, excuse me, an entry into psychic development. And uh, if you want details, head over to the California Haunts Meetup page. Uh, Join up with our meetup because it's all free. Okay, there's no cost to join up with the meetup. And that's where I make all the major announcements for classes and stuff now. Also, if you're interested and you've already been through the class or you're more advanced with your abilities, I'm teaching a psychic development class two the following weekend on September 10th at 5 p.m. Pacific. And that's a little more advanced class where we focus on different psychic skills because not every psychic can do everything. They might be good at, you know, clairsentience or clairaudience, but they're not good at other stuff. And the other way to find that out is to practice, 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 practice. So the second class goes through that, has exercises, and we can, you know, we can kind of hone in on what your skills are. Okay, is that cool? All right. Anyway, welcome. If you're watching tonight from Facebook, please, please, uh, <laughs> thank you. If you're watching from Facebook, please, please, please uh, like our show. Okay, like our show. Uh, if you're watching from YouTube, we're looking for subscribers. So there's a little ghost in the bottom right-hand corner, the magnifying glass and a Sherlock Holmes hat on. Please click on that to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We've got more than 350 videos sitting over there, different topics. I think you'll find something that you like, right? Same thing with Twitter, same thing with, you know, uh, TikTok, same thing with Twitch. If, you, if, you, you know, if you're listening and you like the show, become a friend. Either become a friend or, you know, just click on that like button. We're looking for likes. Looking for likes. Okay. And also, may I add, I lost my train of thought, I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh, yes. If you're watching the show and, you're, and you like it during the show, share it. Share it with your friends. Let everybody know we're on the air. Okay? Share it with your friends. Because we're, you know, we're looking to get the word out more and more about this show. And, I want, and again, I'm thanking everybody because this month has been tremendous as far as downloads on the, on the podcast. The word's getting out. Our numbers at YouTube are really good, too, right now. So the, num- so the word about the show is getting out. You know, as, as you guys know, YouTube shows us no love. I don't know why, but we kind of get lost in the algorithms there. 
But anyway, tonight's guest, I'm uh, not about the Old West. I really am, and I loved it. I remember taking a trip up with Nancy Matz and visiting Nancy Matz when she lived up in Tucson, and we went out to Tombstone, and I just had a blast up in Tombstone, walking around with Nancy Matz, you know, looking, at, looking and listening about the stories about the legends and stuff out there. Our, our, our guest tonight is going to tell us about legends that I never even thought of the Old West, even though it must have happened, but you don't hear about it. You know, vampires, dogmen, aliens, that kind of thing, stories from the Old West. So he's written a few books on that, and um, I think we're going to have fun with him tonight. His name is John LeMay, and like I said, I'm really excited to have him on. So you know what? I'm going to shut up and get him on. How's that sound? Hello, Hello Charlotte. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. How are you today? Oh, I'm doing good. I'm excited to be on here, and I'm glad you're you're getting more followers. Yeah, we're getting there. It's it's it's, it's the last three months has been just a big boom. Suddenly, I don't know why, but keep doing it, guys. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. You know. So tell me about you, sir. Well, I've done about forty books now, and then partly why I say that is if you ask me a question about the most current book that just came out, I probably won't be able to come up with the answer real quick because of all that information in my head. And uh, it's kind of like the current book that just came out. I probably wrote a year or two ago and then it takes a while to edit them and get them released and get the cover art. But like, here's the one I think you had listened to on the, the monsters podcast, mm -hmm. Cowboys and monsters, but uh, it didn't start. That's the newest book. But what it started with was uh the Cowboys and Aliens movie back in 2011. My friend uh, Noe Torres is a ufologist in Texas, and he and I both basically had the same idea that with the movie coming out, we should ride the hype wave and uh, just do a book on the real uh, UFOs of the Old West because there were quite a few. And that's what got the ball rolling. Then I did uh, kind of a spinoff sequel with uh, Dinosaurs and Cryptozoology in the Old West and just I got to having a lot of fun, so I thought, well, I wonder if they have any vampire stories from the Old West, and to my shock, they had quite a few, so, um, but yeah, I, I think I've been doing this for about the past 10 years now, as far as, like, the, uh, the paranormal Old West stuff. How, how do you research this stuff? I mean, is there, are there written accounts, or how, how, how do you find this info? So, I'm very spoiled as a modern researcher. I really like to pay my respects to Jerome Clark uh, and his books because I know poor Jerome Clark probably had to go through the microfiche and he had to work really hard to, to transcribe these old newspaper articles because mm -hmm. um, there's tons of these newspaper articles. And today, you know, somebody like me, I just I learned the right keywords to search in newspaper.com or newspaper archive is the one I use. And uh, you even have a software that you can highlight the words. And if the typeface isn't too bad, it'll actually copy them. So, I mean, my job is pretty minimal. And once I get the articles, you know, I just try and figure out, was the witness real? You know, uh, where else can we find this witness in the historical record? You know, was it even a real person? Are there corroborating articles? Things like that. So it's it's like being in a cold case detective, you know, and it's uh, it's difficult, but it's fun. Well, and then, you know, as I'm reading, because I'm reading the um, the legend and haunting of Lizzie Borden, and when I'm finding this one, because being a journalist, right, working the newspapers, they wrote a lot differently back then, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very wordy. And uh, so is Lizzie Borden, 
Is that where the rock group, since you brought her up, is that where the rock group Thin Lizzy got their name? I don't know. Yeah, I've always wondered about that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I know in this book I'm reading, there's a lot of newspaper, you know, sections from the t- taken from the newspapers, and it's 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 a lot. It's a lot different than what we do. Yeah. You know, normally. So tell me about vampires. I mean, tell me about vampires in the old west. How, what is that like? That do they look similar to what we think vampires look like, or how they look? One of them did. The the one that I would say is closest to Dracula is they have a story about uh, St. Germain supposedly living in uh, New Orleans in 1904 and a a girl flung herself from his balcony because she claimed that he tried to bite her on the neck and drink uh, her blood. And uh, the next day when the police returned to his house, he had had vacated the property and they found uh, wine bottles that had mixtures of wine and human blood in them. And so, I mean, he, or not Count Germain, what is it, Saint Germain, mm-hmm. um, in most circles is looked at as more of a benevolent figure, but this is probably one of the only stories where he's like an evil figure. Um, and it doesn't have a lot behind it that I know of, but it's, he, he's the one that I would say is most like a movie vampire like Dracula, because they also said that uh, Saint Germain after that moved to a castle in Transylvania and, and stuff like that. Um, but no, typically the vampires uh, of the old West that I found were usually, they were like wild men just kind of ro- roaming around the ranges. The most popular one is a story from Nebraska from 1895 or so. I think they claimed that this very strong wild man was running along the ranges and he would uh, wrestle cattle down with his bare hands and he would, drain their blood and he supposedly got in a fight with one of the cowboys and um you know initially i just figured that was probably you know one of those made up for entertainment stories mm-hmm. um but as i got to looking around i discovered sorry there i discovered though um that there was a, a corroborating article from i think it was the the neighboring state of iowa Mm-hmm. Where they too had had a vampire attack recently from a guy who had escaped from an asylum, and it all happened within three months. And I, I kind of calculated the mileage and was like, well, he could have traveled that far in three months pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that story about the Nebraska vampire definitely um, intrigued me. Well, I just find it interesting because you know I don't. I've read a lot of old west stuff. You know, over the years, my dad, you know, was really into it. I had all the time life books and all that stuff. And I, I've never, I, I've never seen anything on vampires or anything because, you know, as a ghost hunter up here in the gold country, I'm forever doing, you know, research and stuff. You know, I'm getting, and I'm getting like Tommy knockers and all this because we're up in the hills, but I've never heard anything about vampires or anything like that. Yeah. And I, so actually, um, I ended up doing a, a whole spinoff series. I've got it right here. So, you know, I did this book first, Cowboys and Monsters. I really thought Mm -hmm. that uh, all of it would fit in this one book, which is close to 400 pages or something. Mm -hmm. And I just kept digging up more and more stories. And I figured out there was too many for one book and it would have been about 800 pages, maybe more. And so I decided to just do the best stories and the most Western stories in that Cowboys and Monsters. But I have three new books that are just devoted each one to 
a different monster more or less so i've got one it's just the cowboy and vampire story so it has mm -hmm. stories from that cowboys and monsters book plus at least uh 60 of it is brand new stories like uh i did the vampire witches of mexico i i can never pronounce their names but that was a a big deal back in the 1950s they actually launched a government investigation into rural mexico because they had so many uh, infant death certificates that said that the uh, the baby was uh, quote sucked by the witch, wow. and that the baby was drained of blood in the night by by a witch, and it was a really big full scale investigation. So like I have that in there. I did a book just devoted to the mummies, so you can see the David E. George John Wilkes Booth mummy. That's who that is. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, I did the werewolf book, which I did. I called it Cowboys and Dogmen. So those are all out right now. I just haven't promoted them uh, real hard yet. Some of these stories, I mean, when you think about these stories, like I've, I've interviewed people about Paul Bunyan and those legends. Mm -hmm. I mean, are these fireside stories that these guys would tell each other to, to scare each other? Or do you think that they actually saw stuff? So most of these I got from newspaper articles. And the problem with those newspaper articles, um, you know, back then they would write, articles purely for entertainment and they would sandwich them in between the real articles so you could never <clears throat> actually tell uh what was made up and what right. wasn't you know i mean skeptics will take it for granted that any article about a dinosaur or a vampire is just made up um but you know people like us who really read into it you know get to where we can kind of tell what seems legit and what doesn't um so it's unfortunate there are so many fake articles um but i think at least half of them might be talking about something that really happened mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i was just thinking about those little comic books that they would sell too for that the kids would read about billy the kid or whatever you know, to, 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 to romanticize these people you know yeah. things like that yes yeah, so i'm from roswell which is actually not too far i know everybody thinks of aliens when they hear roswell but Roswell uh, was also one of the stomping grounds of Billy the Kid. It wasn't too far from the town of Lincoln where they did all the fighting. Not terribly far from Fort Sumner either where he died. So uh, Roswell definitely has its share of Western history. And we even have a funny tie between the UFO crash and Billy the Kid. You know, So some people will know Pat Garrett was the sheriff who killed mm -hmm. Billy the Kid. Well, uh, many years later in 1908, Pat Garrett was himself uh, shot, some people say assassinated, and uh, he was shot by Jesse Wayne Brazel, who was a cousin or something to uh, Mac Brazel, who found the UFO debris in 1947. That's interesting. Yeah. That is very interesting. Wow. Small world. Small world. So... Um, as you went through these files, like you say, you, you had to you know, sort through which ones you felt were real, which ones were fake. I mean, was it very time-consuming for you? Yes, and it, even though I say that, typically, so like if I come across a really interesting article, mm -hmm. I'll still include it, and I'll, I'll be honest, though, and just tell the reader, I don't think this one's real, but, I mean, it's too good not to print, so let's go ahead and read it anyways. Um, and it's, it's always disappointing when I can't dig anything up on these articles you know sometimes when that happens i'll just print them and kind of uh you know leave them out there for the reader to see what they think just because they're entertaining but like i said it is a lot of fun when you can actually uh latch on to at least one name from the article the witness name and learn their history and learn right. that they were at least a real person 
And I mean, even then, that doesn't prove that any of it happened, you know. Right, right, right. Because those so, people, they like to play practical jokes, even if they were mm -hmm. good people, you know. So it's hard to tell. It is hard to tell. But when you think about it, though, in, in the big picture, the Native Americans always have legends about mm -hmm. this stuff. The dogmen, you know, even vamp probably vampires, for all we know. Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense that maybe they might have actually existed. And we just, you know, us in our, our society think, Ugh, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I like to tell the skeptics. Because skeptics think they're so smart and they're better than everyone. But it's like, to me, it's like common sense. If you see uh, a Bigfoot on a cave painting way over in Africa, and then you see it across the continents worldwide you know and it's like the pre-internet pre-information age pre-newspaper pre-telephone all these different continents were seeing the same creatures mm -hmm. and have basically the same stories you know i mean common sense would tell you well they all saw the same thing mm -hmm. they're not mm -hmm. all going to come up with the same fairy tale that's weird mm -hmm. you know so I, I absolutely think you know, the fact that we see, like I said, a cave painting, a Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, whatever, and then we still see it today. You know, it's just, to me, that's uh, the proponent for their existence. And how many, I mean, just off, just off the top of your head, how many vampire stories were you able to come across for this? Um, I think I filled about 200 pages in the vampire book, but I don't remember how many cases that is. But like, uh, there was a pretty interesting one from Brooklyn in the 1870s. Um, that it was a pretty detailed article that was really interesting. Let's see, I did about twenty four chapters, so I guess that's about twenty twenty four solid, you know, vampire stories in, right. in this particular book here. Right, that's incredible. Yeah, and there's probably still more that I just missed. Um, right, but I agree with you. You know, it's hard to tell the truth from the fiction on this because obviously you weren't there, and you know. And it was hard because they did tell stretchers. What about the monsters? Let's talk about some of the monsters. Yeah. So monsters. Monsters. What do I consider? Well, um, <laughs> cryptids, I suppose. You know, okay. I really enjoy cryptids. Uh, like I said, this series kind of started with, uh, I called it Cowboys and Saurians, which was devoted to dinosaurs and giant reptiles. You know, particularly the 1890 Tombstone Thunderbird incident, you know. Uh, funny thing was, so like I said, 2011, I did The Real Cowboys and Aliens with Noe Taurus, and then I wanted to do the dinosaur book. And I really thought the dinosaur book would barely scrape by. I thought, you know, I'll be lucky to get 120 pages or something and eke out a little book. Well, mm -hmm. uh, as I started to delve into these articles, there were so many, I figured out I could do a whole series. So I kind of started categorizing them as I would collect them. Like I would set aside the ice age type monsters like saber-toothed tigers woolly mammoths you know the old cave bears because they would see those as well back in the pioneer days mm -hmm. and you know so i would set those aside and then i'd just do the dinosaurs and i might set them aside by region like i did a uh, basically uh dinosaurs in the old south mm -hmm. I, I called that one southerners southerners and saurians um so i've done about four or five of the dinosaur books now i'm, I'm working on one uh, of dinosaur encounters in Australia, because the Australia is kind of like the old West back right. back in its heyday. You know, similar thing with cowboys and cattle, um, and they have some interesting dinosaur stories. So, a ton of uh, remnant dinosaur stories just from all across America and, and South America and Australia. It's it's really interesting. 
Well, you know, even now, like the Alaska, I don't know if it's the Alaskan Triangle was one of those Alaskan things on Discovery. They were talking about how they were driving down this road in this area and they saw these dinosaurs, hmm. smaller dinosaurs, you know, kind of like the size of the raptors, I guess, you know. But yeah. that's what people kept saying because they had like 10 people that had actually seen these things. So it makes a lot of sense because even back then, when you think about it, all the wide open plains, especially back then, you know, anything could be existing in those caves, down way down in those mines or, or whatever. I'm glad you brought up the little dinosaur because I actually met a man here in Roswell who saw, um, they call them Colorado River dinosaurs because they see them kind of in the Four Corners area. Um, but he saw one here in Roswell, which I think is interesting, you know, because uh, you think Roswell can only have one strange thing, that being the right. aliens, but it has all sorts of interesting things. Right. Well, you know, actually, people I've talked to about that topic seem to think that where there is UFO activity, you're going to get these strange creatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I believe in the window area thing where they all conglomerate together, kind of like what John Keel talked about with Mothman and the men in black and injured mm-hmm. cold and just all of it. It's, it's, it seems to all be connected in some strange way. What's one of the monsters from the old West that stands out to you? Well, I don't know. He's more of a human monster, but I was really shocked uh, in the federal writers project. Uh, someone interviewed a man who claimed he met jack the ripper tending bar in benson arizona and he claimed that uh, this bartender claimed that he was jack the ripper who had escaped from england to america and um he got in a bar fight and there was a shooting and they claimed that his deathbed confession was that he was really jack the ripper and here was the knife he used to kill all these people um so i mean if that was a real deathbed confession you have to think to yourself why would anybody lie Mm-hmm. On the deathbed, usually they tell the truth. And I mean, why would they want to be known as Jack the Ripper if they were lying? Mm-hmm. You know, it's an odd thing. Um, so I guess the question there is, uh, did that deathbed confession really happen? Right. Did this interview subject just make it up? But um, that's why I like these stories. You know, it's really not on me. You know, it's not on me to prove them. I just put them out there and say, well, right. you know, I mean, here's the pros and cons as to why it maybe did or didn't happen. Well, it does make sense with Jack the Ripper because everything died down and then things started to happen over in the U.S. There were reports of, of similar crimes in the U.S. So, I mean, the Scotland Yard was thinking that, yeah, he he, he, mm-hmm. he escaped England and went over the U.S. So what you're saying is, per, is perfectly plausible. Yeah. And then, oh, gosh, I think my favorite story, though, from Cowboys and Monsters, he's not really, again, he's not really a monster, Um I guess my definition of monster for that book was I was thinking of the universal horror films mm-hmm. and they always had the mummies. So, you know, in real life, there's not really any stories of mummies coming back to life or anything mm-hmm. that fantastic. But I did find a story about the guy, David E. George, who kind of like the Jack the Ripper thing, David E. George, when he died, claimed he was John Wilkes Booth. And this was about 1904, somewhere around there. Um, and so, he he had committed suicide with arsenic and then the embalmer used you know his chemicals to embalm him and, and because of the arsenic it's like they mummified him okay. and uh so he turned into a mummy and when they learned that he had claimed to be john wilkes booth you know the short version is they made him a circus attraction 
and he just toured all over America. And uh, there's an interesting story that the mummy was cursed, and it caused a uh, a train wreck with the, with, and the train was carrying freak circus animals. And it's just kind of an odd, interesting story that actually is true. And of course, doesn't mean he was John Wilkes Booth or that it was a curse, you know, but it's right. just, it seems like something out of a film. So it's interesting. I was going to ask you, did you come across, and I don't know if it happened in the early 1900s or the 1800s, the story of the of the young Bigfoot? So I, I do have a, like a file saved away to maybe do a Cowboys and Bigfoot type mm-hmm. book one day. And maybe I have that in there because uh, there's a lot of, yeah, well, a lot of uh, pioneer period Sasquatch articles yeah. too. So I might. I just haven't looked in a while, and it's not fresh in my mind. Yeah, because there was a report that they had captured a baby, a younger one, and they took it on tour for the sideshow, and then nobody knows what happened to it. But they swear up and down that, that people would see this thing, you know, on, on tour. Was but that the Alaskan from... one? Is it, was his name like Jacko or something? Yeah. And it was yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have heard of that one. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, it's interesting to me. Let's talk about Dogman now. I mean, here's these yeah. guys. They're out, you know. Well, like you see in Australia, they're still doing this. They're, they're staying overnight out in the middle of nowhere on their horses, keeping an eye on, on the flocks and whatnot. And the, the these things appear to start to, you know, eat their sheep. Is that yeah. kind of along what we're talking about? Or what's the sightings like for the Dogman? Yep. So I, I live in New Mexico. And, uh, we have something called skinwalkers and it's a really taboo thing. There, mm-hmm. there would actually be people just like in the old universal horror movies where they're outside of Dracula's castle and they won't even say the name. Um, so it's, it's basically a native American Navajo um, idea, or maybe I shouldn't call it idea. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just trying to think of the right word to use. It's, it's Navajo witchcraft. And of course the Navajo really frown upon it and it's kind of, they kind of tried to keep it secretive and it just leaked out through popular culture and, and things like that because it's so interesting because it basically is kind of a Navajo werewolf. It's just mm-hmm. not quite like in the movies where they get bitten and they change. You know, in uh, the Navajo folklore, um, the witch just wears whatever animal skin it wants to turn into. Mm-hmm. And that's how they induce the transformation. And I, I think the other aspect of it is they have to kill a close blood relative to actually um, gain all of their powers or, or whatever it is. But um, it was a very serious issue. Um, a lot of Navajos believe in skinwalkers still. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 1878, they had something called the Navajo Witch Purge over in Arizona, where the Navajo were just really suffering because they had just returned from uh, the long walk to New Mexico. You know, they, they were forced to do the long walk in the early 1860s to uh, a place called Fort Sumner. And then they, in 1868, they were allowed to finally return home to Arizona, but they were just in really bad shape because it was such a harsh uh, experience. And they had a lot of cattle deaths and things like that. And um, it's tough to say if skinwalkers were really to blame mm-hmm. or if it was more along the lines of something like the Spanish Inquisition where all sorts of people got accused of being witches when, when really only a handful of them probably were actual witches, you know, but they had, uh, basically they would, they would execute these accused uh, skinwalkers. And I think in total, 
40 people or so got executed in 1878 uh, under the uh, suspicion of being a witch or a skinwalker. So it's, you know, it was a very real thing. So the skinwalkers of all the North American werewolves are probably the ones that uh, fascinate me the most. And actually, um, from what I understand, all of the werewolf stories are similar to that in that there's not a werewolf bite. It's always uh, they make a pact with the devil or, or whatever kind of magic and they wear the animal skin and that's how they transform. That's I never ever found a story where somebody got bit and they turned into a werewolf later. Now the question I have for you is that, that and I know these whole newspapers these guys would take liberties with, with their writing to pump it up but are, do you, if, you, if you look at the Navajo legends or, or the Hopi legends or whatever, do the descriptions match between what what the cowboys are seeing and what the Native Americans are seeing, or is there a difference? So what's interesting is it's really only the, the Navajo and the Native Americans would see the skinwalkers. Not okay. really too many cowboys ever talked about them. Mm-hmm. Um, nowadays, you will get you know non-Navajo that maybe they're driving around that area in kind of northern New Mexico, and they will claim to see kind of a half-wolf, half-human type creature running alongside their car. There's a lot of stories of that. Um, and I'm sure everybody's heard of the, the famous Skinwalker Ranch of Utah, right. which actually doesn't have that many skinwalkers. It's more of a UFO-type uh, area. And what is kind of like you were saying about window areas earlier, because the Skinwalker Ranch has had UFOs, it's had the skinwalkers, it's had even at least one dinosaur sighting there. So it's, it's pretty crazy. I just find the skinwalkers fa- to, to be really fascinating because they are half yeah. man, half half wolf, and I just wonder how, like like the story. I mean, like you say, you see these stories, and you know it's either a bite or the full moon, and you know, then you know, and, and they change body form. And the stuff that you've read, like you like like you've already determined that that it's not a bite that causes them. What about the transformation? Or if there's any report for transformations? I think no one has lived to like tell of the transformation itself. It's one of those things where they'd have to be like an ex-skinwalker or something like that. But I, I don't think there is such a thing as an ex-skinwalker. I think once they become one, it's like they're permanently off. And I don't know what you'd call it, some other realm, or they just keep to themselves. Um, but yeah, I don't think anyone's ever lived to tell uh, what the transformation looks like. And also... You know, the Navajo are very private. They'd be angry we were talking about this at all. But, I mean, you know, it's already out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's, you know, people basically kind of know what it is. Um, And that's why there's probably so much misinformation about it is they don't really share a lot about it. They keep it hush-hush. And to them, it's kind of like bad luck to talk about it. Mm -hmm. The other thing, too, is it's like with any story. You know, it starts out with the Navajo. And then maybe somebody else sees it, and then they tell about it, but then they're going to add a couple more things mm-hmm. to make it more scary, and then it's getting passed down through yeah. the ages like that where it's more scary. Do you think uh, when you compare the Navajo legends with the legends of, uh, of the cowboys, is there a difference between the two? So I was, I was kind of sad. I didn't find a whole lot of good cowboy, like werewolf encounters like a lot of them came from, I noticed, areas where the French settled. More like like in Detroit, there were quite a few. There's quite a few in the south, like Kentucky's land between the lakes, uh, you know. Um, 
Now, Mich- the Michigan Dogman is kind of interesting. It it seems like a traditional movie werewolf more than like a skinwalker. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know me, I've got to flip through my book real quick and think, what am I forgetting about here? <laughs> um, God, I found a really interesting story I liked because I wanted to find a silver bullet story because that yeah. seemed to me to be something from a film. Mm-hmm. And I didn't find anything really uh, silver bullet related, but I found this cool story from Canada about a... Uh, it was more of a were coyote. It was a man who turned into a coyote and the, a miner shot him with a bullet made of gold and that's what killed him. I thought that's a pretty cool Old West, you know, werewolf story. That is cool. But I mean, it doesn't necessarily either have to be the, the Old West either. Like you say, the stories in the South, because I know there's a lot of swamp beings, you know, especially when you get back to New Orleans where you've got the you know, you got the um, swamps and then even Florida's Everglades. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that's out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, you know, this book, too, I, I have some, like, just canine cryptids in general. You know, that definitely wouldn't really be a werewolf, but it's a canine cryptid, so I thought it was cool. Uh, my favorite thing I learned definitely came from uh, Robert Beto's, I hope I said his last name right. I think it's, it's, B, it's B-I-T-T-O. Uh, he has a website called Mexico Unexplained. And uh, he, he did uh, a big write-up on the Mexican equivalent of the hellhound called a cadejo. And what I thought was so cool is that, um, you know, everywhere else there's only the evil hellhounds, but Mexico has heavenly hounds called the white cadejo. That's like a hound from heaven that's, that's good and it fights the hellhounds. I just thought that was so cool. That is really cool. And then you just made me think about the chubacabra. Yeah. <laughs> top of Mexico. There's so much out there, and there's so much, and I admire you for going through this stuff and looking it up like you have, because there's just so much out there to dig up and find. You know. So oh, you well, thank you. I I'll say I admire the people that buy my books because that you know enables me to actually do this and spend my time. You know, because um, this used to be a hobby, mm-hmm. um, but now you know, like you said, I'm at 40 books. So I mean. So thank you, everyone who buys my books. That's how I'm able to, you know, keep looking into this stuff. And I'm, I mean, I'm really not that great of a researcher. I don't think I'm just, I'm good at, uh, I only write books that I want to read, I guess is what I would say. I never write a book that I don't want to read myself. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I thought, you know, I really, um, I think what started it is I really like the movie Valley of Guanji. And I just thought, you know, there's a lot of real stories like that. So I just want to compile them all into one book. And that's kind of what got the ball rolling. And a lot of people, you know, they think like me. They're interested in the same thing. And so so thank you, anyone that enjoys my books. I appreciate it. You know, when you think about these stories, again, you know, you think about these guys that are out, like, watching the cattle, you know, and it's lonely at night. Are there, is there anything, you know, in, in your books or any, any research that you've done where, it's multiple sightings, you know, with, with a group of people seeing something. Mm-hmm. My, uh, so it's pretty rare that I come across anything kind of new, so to speak. I mean, usually like Lauren Coleman or, or somebody like that has already covered it years ago. So the only thing I feel like I've ever kind of pieced together or one of the only things that I pieced together on my own that I don't think anyone else ever wrote about was the Kentucky dog eater. That's what it was called was the dog eater because for some reason it was a uh, predator that went after mostly dogs and um, it was always just this big monstrous dog-like creature um, sometimes it would 
like tear the heads off of the carcass and just take the head away. Sometimes it would suck the blood and drain the body. Uh, but it was just this weird animal that ran wild through Kentucky and into Tennessee for the, like a span of about 10 years. Mm -hmm. And truthfully, it was probably multiple predators all blamed for the same killings. But in that mix, you know, probably somewhere was the real dog eater, which was some freak animal of some sort whether it's just like a genetic mutation or, or there was something supernatural about it but the dog eater was probably the one i was uh the most intrigued with just because it was one that nobody else had covered before and i i kind of got to be the first to the best of my knowledge maybe i'm not but well that is really cool yeah that's definitely good it's definitely a plus what creature stands out to you the most hmm like in terms of like uh the monster monsters like the like the vampires and the werewolves or the dinosaurs or the vampires and the werewolves the vampires and the werewolves um hmm there's so many i i mean that vampire from nebraska is pretty hard to beat um cuz like i said there was a, an actual corroborating story for it um so i think yeah the vampire of nebraska back in 1896 or 1895 whenever it was that might be my favorite uh, from this particular book here. Absolutely. And as far as the, um, when we talk about the dinosaurs and stuff, what stands out to you with the stories? So I think my favorite dinosaur story is, that I actually believe is also one of the most exciting ones. And I don't want to say exciting because if you actually were there, you wouldn't call it exciting. You know, you'd call it a tragedy, but I mean, it, it sounds like something from a film. It happened in Crosswicks, Ohio in the 1880s. And it, basically the people there described something kind of like a raptor, kind of like from the Jurassic Park movies. It was just a, a really fleet, uh, bipedal, carnivorous, you know, lizard monster that uh, attacked uh, two boys and killed one of them and like drug it away um I, I guess apparently bit him to death then it ran off and it hid inside of a hollowed out tree and i i think they had like chopped the tree down then it ran away and they lost sight of it um but that was one you know you would think that's a made-up story but there's a lot to validate it um the witnesses we were um they're all people that you can track down and prove that they were real mm -hmm. um there were other sightings in the area and what's uh, really weird, though, is this uh, the idea that the monster would run into the hollowed out tree right. because there's a Native American tribe somewhere in Oklahoma that had a legend of a lizard monster that liked to that had matched the same description as the Crosswicks monster. And it liked to live in hollowed out trees, you know, and and, you know, there was no um, communication between this Native American tribe in Oklahoma and these newspaper writers in Ohio in the 1880s, you know, I mean, it's just such an odd coincidence. So it kind of lends some credence to the story. See, that's where I agree with you 100% in that when you can get a hold of a story like that and you're able to compare it with, say, something the Native Americans have seen or in their legends, that's what makes it nice and incredible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That is awesome. Let's talk, speaking of which, you kind of touched on that earlier. The Thunderbird, mm -hmm. the big birds. What stories have you heard about that? There's just so many. And, you know, there's basically two different types of Thunderbirds. You know, first is the basically the giant eagle. 
then the second one, you know, which probably you and I are more interested in is, uh, you know, a remnant pterodactyl. And the famous story is that back in 1890, two unnamed uh, cowboys were riding through the Huachuca Desert uh, outside of Tombstone, Arizona. And supposedly they saw this uh, animal that they described as kind of being like a crocodile with wings and they shot it down. And uh, the story goes, they drug it back into Tombstone and took a photograph of it. And then today there's all sorts of people that claim they saw the photograph one time, but they can't find it. And that that's really the most famous old West uh, dinosaur story there is probably just because it happened mm-hmm. so close to Tombstone, you know, and it's as opposed to, you know, anywhere else. Right, right, right. I find those interesting too, because mm-hmm. even today people are still claiming that they're seeing that stuff. Yeah. So and, and the tombstone one also has a lot of corroboration because uh, they would talk also about the Elizabeth Lake monster of California, which basically had the same description. And they said it left the lake uh, just a few months before the tombstone story broke and it was flying east, you know, in that direction. And then uh, somebody else recently found a third article where the uh, tombstone Thunderbird was seen. I think somewhere in like around San Diego, California, around the same time. And it's so it's, you know, it's very interesting. It is very interesting. Now, let's talk about the South because the South doesn't necessarily have to be cowboy stories. But the South, I mean, with all the bayous and everything back there, I mean, anything could be back in the in the deep woods or in the bayous. What types of creatures are back there? I, I know there's like the swamp, the Bigfoot type swamp creatures, but what else is there? Well, with every one of those cowboy dinosaur books, I like to find a certain creature to spotlight, you know, to put on the cover of the book. You know, like first book is Tombstone Thunderbird. The Ice Age book, I did the Ceratosaurus of the the Yukon that supposedly existed. But for the uh, Southerners and uh, Saurians, I did Lizard Man because they had a a Lizard Man sighting almost 100 years prior to the famous 1987 Lizard Man sighting in uh, so I always mix up North and South Carolina. You know what I mean? I I just they're both Carolinas to me. I don't remember which care. What do you remember which Carolina it was for Lizard Man? I don't remember at all. No. Yeah. People, yeah. People like about, yeah. Is my father was stationed at Kitty Hawk, and that's the only okay. that's the only Carolina I know. <laughs> it makes us sound like we don't know what we're talking about, but I mean we have a lot of information in our head. It's hard to remember. So. Right. But yeah, whichever Carolina it was. Uh, you know, that had the Blizzard Man thing in 18, uh, I mean, 1987, 88, whenever it was. Uh, there was another one in 1892, not too far from uh, the, I think it's Brownsville, um, is where the Lizard Man was seen. And this one wasn't too far away. The only difference was they called it Alligator Man instead of Lizard Man. But the description, the size, everything is almost identical to the Lizard Man of the 1980s. So. I just thought that was so cool that I was um, I was able to find. I shouldn't say I found that article. I mean, lots of people found that article way before I ever did. But I mean, I was glad I was able to find it for the the book on the South because to me that's what set it apart. Now, for people that don't know what a lizard man looks like, can you describe it? So basically, no different than like a reptilian type alien, um, except for it has a bigger tail, I guess. But I mean, it's just basically like a man with scales and uh, and a tail, and you know, or or you could even say it's like a Bigfoot that looks like a lizard too, possibly kind of the same size. So, and what types of things does this thing? You know, what types of stuff does this thing do? 
So it's very aggressive and very mean. Um, the the guy that saw it back in 1987, uh, I think his name was like Christopher Davis or Christopher, I can't remember his name. Um, but he said it attacked his car and like clawed up the bumper and jumped on the roof of the car as he tried to drive away. So it was like really aggressive. So it was very scary. And then more recently, they had a couple within the last 10 years that found their car like they found the grill torn to shreds and they blame that on lizard man and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think lizard man is seen fairly infrequently in that area, but the, uh, the 1987 sighting is the only really uh, good one that got a ton of attention. That's interesting. Cause you'd think, I mean, like back there, I'm not, I'm not cutting down the South or anything. Cause there's some beautiful areas in the South, but I mean, when the people over in, like in California think about the South, they're thinking about the bogs and all this stuff that's back there. And the thing that comes to mind to me is the boggy creature, mm-hmm. you know, and um, stuff like that. Because I, I know, like, I had a gentleman on from Florida who was talking about some legends over in Florida. And it's just, it's just interesting that there's all these legends of all these creatures all over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the South book was fun just because I found some really different stuff outside of the usual dinosaurs. I think I found giant mosquitoes, some giant leeches. Uh, what else? Just some. They had some really unique creatures over there in the South. That's for sure. But I think the possibility, because like even if you look at Northern California, you look at parts of Oregon, you look at you know you look at British Columbia. There's just so much land out there, so many woods, so so many places. These things could still be there in high, even Loch Ness. Let's be realistic about that. Whatever's in Loch Ness, I mean, it, it, it may not be, obviously it's not the same one, but I mean, there's enough room for these things to be fruitful, as they say, fruitful and multiply. You, you know, my favorite theory now, too, that goes for Sasquatch and also the remnant dinosaurs is that they're not necessarily remnant dinosaurs. They're dinosaurs that are misplaced in time and that they somehow... Uh, came through like a time window because i've been reading about the australian dinosaurs mm-hmm. and uh, their witnesses will often see the dinosaurs uh kind of disappear into thin air as almost like they were ghosts so you know maybe instead of you know how people really wrestle with this concept of well how did this dinosaur survive you know maybe it's right. it's more of a time space you know conundrum and same with the sasquatch uh I have a friend named Robin McCray on ScaryCast who, you know, she says that the Sasquatch just live in another dimension and they can choose to be seen when they want to. And that's why you don't find the bodies. And it's, you know, very interesting and very possible. Well, I've heard stories about the Sasquatch, you know, and the whole blue light thing, you mm-hmm. know, and, and when this light appears, out they come and they disappear. Or there's a fog and then they come out of the fog and they disappear. I've got a psychic that I work with uh, with my team and she was, li- she was living in Tombstone. And I guess she was doing dishes. And she said she heard a funny noise and she had to look out the window and the T-Rex walked by. Where was this exactly? Somewhere in Tucson. Oh, Tucson. Wow, that's cool. Okay. And, you know, she does. And, and, you know, what, what, the question is, was it a dead T-Rex? Cause, you know, she's psychic, obviously. Mm-hmm. Walking by or like you say, was she at that, that perfect moment in time that this thing decided to appear? Because it acted like it didn't see the house. From what yeah. she said. It acted like it didn't see the house or nothing. It just was leisurely walking by. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, anything can happen out there. And I and I do think maybe there is a cut in time at some yeah. point for these things to come through. Or like with, with Nessie. I mean, who knows? 
whatever happened to the earth all those millions of years ago, maybe Nessie was in a position in a cave underneath everything, yeah. sleeping or hibernating. And it came out of hibernation, and then, wow, <laughs> that's a brand new yeah. world out here, you know? And it's, it's been able to adapt all these years to, to be able to live out there. Mm-hmm. What's your thoughts on, say, something like, um, like you say, you, you think there's time windows, you say it goes through. What's your thoughts on something like a pterodactyl being able to survive, like like in the Great Northwest Woods and all that? Yeah, so like it being able to survive as opposed to like excluding the time window theory. Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know. You know, I mean, I, I think they lie to us about our history quite a bit. I think, number one, they lie. I think, number two, if they're not lying, they're horribly overconfident mm-hmm. in, in how they think they understand the the past of the world and um even a lot of these dinosaurs from what i understand uh a lot of what we consider to be these really cool dinosaurs there's not even complete skeletons for all of them right they for you know they formulated the body off of a few bones and people like me who don't know any better at first just take their word for it and then eventually you find out no they only found the head and Right. The scientists would just think this is what it looked like because they're so sure of themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, how they would survive, I don't know, unless, uh, like I said, the history of the world is very, very different from what we've been taught. Right, right. And as you were saying that about the dinosaurs, too, I got to thinking, um, you know, like, like like you say, they take their measurements and they're calculating. When I talked to a... Uh, archaeologist or, or a paleontologist a, a few months back he was saying and it shocked me because i always thought maybe i'm naive right but you know you go you go to the museum you see these great <laughs> you, you see these great displays and you think wow that's really cool and like like he says there's only one or two that, that, that and then they have to piecemeal them together exactly and what if and that's the other thing i think what if there was only one or two and they just assumed mm-hmm. there was a whole species you know what if they were but if they were created, you know, and there was just one. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah we don't know. That, that's, the, that's the whole giant question mark over all this. We don't know. Let's talk about cowboys and aliens. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about that. Well, problem with that, again, problem with that is there's so much yellow journalism back then. It's so mm-hmm. difficult to tell what was real and what wasn't, especially with the 1896-1897 airship wave. Because I found a few stories that can't possibly be true, I wouldn't think, that were clearly, um, what would I call it, kind of journalist propaganda. Because uh, around that time, 1897, uh, the media really wanted uh, America to get in the Spanish-American War in Cuba. And they did a bunch of stories about airships that were, the airship would be seen, the airship would land. And the occupants would say, well, we're going to go help uh, the Cubans and fight the Spanish. Mm -hmm. And um, once I kind of learned more about the history of the Spanish-American War and how um, basically there was a ship in Havana Harbor that had a might have had a it was a U.S. ship that had like a maybe a ammunition malfunction inside the hole and sunk itself. And the press jumped the gun and claimed that um, the Spanish had sunk the ship and we need to go to war. And basically, I'm just saying, you know, it was just an early example of media manipulation of our current events. So I just thought it was interesting that even the media 
jumped on these airship stories, you know, as kind of part of the Spanish-American war propaganda. And that was only a, a small part of it. I was just using that as a unique example. But uh, most of the airship stories, though, let's say the other half of them, you know, were probably true because there were just so many of them. Um, and you have to wonder, like, was there like a secret society of newspaper writers that all got together and they decided we're going to do this big hoax? I, I don't know how that would have worked back then. Um, but the airships, though, of the old days, you know, they didn't have the term UFO. Um, very, very few of them actually looked like what we would call UFOs today. You know, the disc shape and all that. Most of them were basically just futuristic looking dirigibles. And that that's what the airship wave was of uh, the 1890s and all that. But um, UFO sightings, though, in general, uh, Noe Torres and I managed to do four books spanning the year 1800 all the way up to uh, 1900, basically. Just uh, tons and tons of UFO encounters in the Old West, for sure. And what, okay, like, like you're saying, this is the kind of thing they saw. Were they were there any alien sightings at all or, or no? It's it's kind of disappointing because a lot of the airships were just piloted by normal people. Mm-hmm. And uh Noe, my co author, came up with an interesting theory and he, he said, Well, you know, what if they were <clears throat> were time travelers and that's why they appeared to be human and they were flying around in these ships that kind of looked appropriate to the era. But there were a few interesting aliens. There, there was a story from, I think, Michigan or somewhere, 1897, where a giant came out of a UFO and it kicked a farmer. That's kind of a famous story in UFO circles. And there's definitely there's some weird aliens. I've forgotten about a lot of them mm-hmm. just because it's so long ago that we did those books. But there was one you know, that had to be a hoax because they were pink aliens that were wearing robes like a roman centurion and like you know that one had to be made up but right um okay you know what though for something really good though there was a little girl who wrote a letter to the newspaper about her dream of the airship she dreamed that an airship came to her in the night and took her away and she said the airship was piloted by these little men and you know back in the old west nobody had any concept of the gray aliens Mm mm-hmm and, uh, you know, the newspaper published this letter just as something to publish because they thought it was cute or interesting or whatever. And ironically enough, to me, that's probably one of the best ones because it's it's so uh, has all the telltale signs of like an alien abduction because this little mm-hmm. girl says it was a dream. But what are the odds that she saw these aliens that people today see? Right. Yeah, there weren't. Yeah. Not a lot of alien greys in the Old West, though. That was really rare. Um, so that one really struck me as interesting and believe it or not there's some men in black uh encounters from the old west as well really mm-hmm. uh, one of these articles you would not believe because it sounds like the men in black you know comedy films mm-hmm. um these guys watched a ufo land they claimed a man in a black suit got out of the ufo and then he hopped into his uh buggy and they described his buggy as a horseless uh, carriage like he he rode in this buggy without any horses and it sped away and it kind of reminded me of uh in the movie how they have their special black cars that can fly mm-hmm. so it was kind of like this man in black had a, a futuristic buggy he rode in mm-hmm. which is just so strange because it's a real article i mean uh um, you know it's from 1875 for a fact so that's that's really incredible 
I love all this stuff. I, I love yeah. all the research you've done into this. It's absolutely fascinating. I never, my wildest dreams would have thought to do anything like that. Yeah, well, like I said, uh, Noe and I just kind of had the same idea at the same time, and it snowballed from there. And there's a ton of weird Western history. I even uh, started a little tiny like Digest magazine. It's called Strange West. Um, I don't know if you're an Ambrose Bierce fan. Yes. So, yeah, I, I learned that Ambrose Bierce disappeared at a spot in Ojinaga, Mexico, that's uh, close to what they call the Devil's Cave. Mm-hmm. You know, and he has that kind of unique association with the devil. And so it's, it's kind of just a speculative piece about what are the odds that the man who wrote about the devil disappeared into thin air around this place called Devil's Cave. And, but it's, it's just a print-on-demand magazine. You know, you can't really subscribe to it, but it's just, right. you know, cheap entertainment, six bucks or 99 cents for Kindle. That's awesome. Now that you mentioned missing, what do you think? Did you, um, were you able to track down, like, like look, at, look at any missing person cases or anything? No, I haven't ever gotten into anything quite that serious. Uh-uh. Okay. Just wondering, you know, because like, like you mentioned him and dad, I was just thinking about this missing 911 thing. I mean, I wonder if this stuff was going on. In, well, I guess it would be hard to track people back then. I bet you know, it was, then, yeah. Stuff. yeah. I absolutely bet it was. Especially with the fact that they're probably they're out in the desert, there's no water, so mm-hmm. who knows, you yeah. know? Whether they would die of thirst or whatever. Mm-hmm. So what's next for you? Well, uh, there will be plenty more of, you know, these type books. Like I said, I'm doing one called Cowboys and Saurians, Dinosaurs Down Under, which is about you know, like the Bourinjur that eats cattle down there, and uh, uh, those. I did a novel. I'm trying to pretty hard to promote Western novel. It's this one here, the uh, noted desperado Pancho Dumez. It's all about the real life theft of Billy the Kid's tombstone in the uh, 1970s. His uh, tombstone was stolen several times. It's just I kind of wove a little adventure story out of that. So. Um, yeah, but I, I've usually got about five or six books going at once, and I just jump back and forth between whichever one I want to work on that particular day. That works, that works. And let me ask you this. Growing up in, I mean, being you know living in Roswell, it must be an incredible place to decide to delve into all these legends and stuff because you're surrounded by it all. Yeah, and I think, you know, I got a little tired of the aliens, and I think that's why as a kid I gravitated more towards Bigfoot and dinosaurs. You know, they were strange, but they were, you know, just different. You know, you take for granted where you live, you know, and aliens were in my face just all the time. So, but I appreciate where I live. I I love it here. Um, I really do. I think it's a great place to live. Absolutely. I want to thank you for coming on. I so appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Charlotte. I enjoyed it. I did too, and it'd be great to get you back on and pick your brain a little more about sure. this stuff. Anytime, just let me know. All right, John, thank you so much. All right, Where can people good night. Find you? Oh, uh, just type in my name on Amazon.com, and mm-hmm. I, I'll have like an author page, and there'll be lots of stuff. Okay, fair enough. All right, John, thank you so much. All right, thank you. Have a good evening. All right, that was great. I learned a lot, and uh, I was looking forward to this because I wanted to talk about all these legends and stuff. See, the, you know, the legends continue, even to this day, about these creatures. And so who knows? I mean, maybe, well, obviously, the, these creatures were probably here a long time before we were, you know, before we came to the Earth. Okay, guys, quick reminder, I'm going to be teaching a psychic development class on Saturday, September 3rd. Let me straighten up a little bit here. I keep sinking in my chair. I need a new chair. Uh, I'll be teaching the psychic development class one on Saturday, September 3rd at 5 p.m. Pacific. 
And then the following Saturday, September 10th, I'm teaching another psychic development class at 5 p.m. Pacific, and that's a psychic development class too. And again, you can check that out at our meetup. And this California Haunts Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team meetup. You can check that out over there. It's free to you know, it's free to join that meetup, no cost. Uh, but I do charge for the classes because uh, everything we do is nonprofit. So, like with John, you know, uh, whatever donations come in, like you know, even for you know, with his books, and just like whatever donations come in for what we do here, that goes towards maintaining the paranormal team, and that goes towards maintaining the equipment here, the, you know, the cameras and everything we got here to keep the show on the air. So, uh, if you if you're interested in taking a develop you know a development class or two, that's great. I would really appreciate that. You know. Again, I'd appreciate it. Uh, tomorrow, uh, we're going to be on at noon Pacific. We're shifting gears again. We're going to be on noon Pacific. Tomorrow is J.T. Hunter is going to be with us talking about the Gainesville Ripper. And he, he's got a great book on that, uh, to won awards and everything. So he's going to be with us talking about that. But remember, that's going to be at noon. But of course, it'll be available for everybody in the evenings that are our usual evening viewers. Um, if you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five people. We are equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. Also, if you're watching from Facebook right now and you like what you see, hit that follow button. Same thing with TikTok and Twitch and even Twitter. All right? Hit that follow button. If you're watching from uh, YouTube, go ahead and subscribe. I can't think of it tonight. Uh, if you're watching from YouTube, go ahead and subscribe. And uh, there's all kinds of stuff on there, all kinds of videos, including this gentleman's stuff. Okay? Anyway, I want to thank you all for coming tonight. And again, I really appreciate everything you've done. The numbers have jumped, like I said earlier, the numbers have jumped through the roof. And I hope they keep going that way. People are catching on. And I got an email the other day from from somebody in France, which I'm really cool about. I'm going to post that on the website, I think. Because, I, you know, it's just it's just something you don't see every day. So you can you can visit us at CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com or the, or the Paranormal Team at CaliforniaHaunts.org. All right? Anyway, uh, again, you see that ticker at the bottom of the page, and that's to help us bring, you know, excite, you know, help us keep bringing exciting and informative guests to the show. Please donate, you know, if, if you have it, you're available to help us out a little bit, you know, internet costs and all that good stuff, like I said earlier. PayPal.com at California Haunts, or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, Venmo at California Haunts. All right? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you some of his books, uh, some of John's books, and, of course, getting them at Amazon. So here we go. You can uh, check it out website roswellbooks.com. And of course, Monsters of the Old South, Cowboys and Vampires. Mummies of the Americas. I'm blind, so I can't read that one. It's a UFO thing. Okay, then we got... I'm <laughs> sorry about that, John. Space Monsters of the Old West. That's what happens when you get older, you're blind. Too much computer work. And, of course, you can get those at Amazon or at his at, at, at that roswellbooks.com site. All right. Anyway, I want to thank again, thank everybody for coming tonight, and I will see you at noon tomorrow. So have a good evening, guys. <laughs>